it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. It used to be Ricky Henderson sitting around the outfield spitting sunflower seeds. That was that marked the start of spring training. You know, Major League Baseball players don't know how good they've got it. Maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, it's one of those things that we all say. But think about it. I've always felt like you and I needed a spring training. You know, once a year, we go to sunny Arizona or Florida back in the day. We stand around. We get to, like, I do a radio show. And it's okay, like, if I go long on segments, we go, hey, it's just the spring. When it really counts, Kanzana will be locked in on those segments. Or like on yesterday's show, I said Jim Boeheim, former Syracuse coach, early in the show. And later in the show, I called him Boheim. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it was later in the show. If it was spring training, I could have said, that's why we do it. It's the spring. Pitchers working on covering first base. Middle infielders taking ground balls on fungos. Nothing that happens in the spring training games truly counts because you get a reset on opening day. Think about it. Bus drivers, they could miss a stop, and then people go, what are you doing? And you go, eh, it's the spring. You know, that's why we do it. That's why we get down to Arizona. We let these bus drivers work on their route. Steven on the board, like, Steven, you know, you could hit the wrong benchmark or fail to go to commercial break or leave a mic open and, and nobody be mad at you. They'd just be like, hey, man, that's why we report early. We work on this stuff. I just think we all deserve a spring training. Like, you know, check out people at the store, servers and restaurants. You could drop a plate and they go, hey, we're working on it. That's why we get here in February and we do this. Uh, I think we all deserve a spring training. That's all I'm saying. That's my larger point. Tyson Alger. I-5 Corridor, that's where you can read Tyson. I get all kinds of fired up when he comes on the show, but lately I've been thinking about Tyson in a way he doesn't know. I've been watching True Detective Season 4, Night Country. Jodie Foster takes place somewhere in, like, the depths of Alaska or Siberia. I don't know which it is, but, you know, it's the longest couple of weeks with no sunrise in in alaska and i gotta ask our guy from alaska what this is all about tyson alger did the sun come up and go down where you were from in alaska i mean it, it kind of explains a little bit about me um if you think about it i mean just growing up in that darkness um it i think it was a little overblown i mean like where where they're at in that show it's supposed to be kind of up on uh, around where the North Slope is, so it's it's legitimate that you would have you know a thirty day ish period of night, um, but there's uh, there's definitely some uh, um, some liberties that they've taken in the show. First of all, um, I I don't think that there's a full blown ice rink of of that size anywhere in in that city. But uh, we can get into the full nitty full nitty gritty. Um, but uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, watching that show even if it, uh, it went off the rails a few times How was it like <laughs> i'm doing well i have so many questions about that show but 
Give me an idea. When you are in that part of the country and the days are short like that or non-existent, psychologically, what do you what do people do? Do they have like UV lights when they go inside or how do you know what your body? How do, how do you know what time it is? Oh, absolutely. As some of the, so I, I grew up in Palmer, which was an hour north of Anchorage, which we still got pretty extreme, um, you know, light and dark in, in the summer and the winter, but it wasn't quite as much as up like north of the Arctic Circle where they legitimately do have like UV light therapy in schools. But um, I was a hockey player, and so I would go to school and it would be dark, and I'd have to go straight to practice afterwards. So you get out of school at 2 get to the rink at 2.30, practice would get out at like 3.45, and it would be dark. So it's essentially your the only time it was light is when you were in school. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, there would be uh, there would be some fun aspects to it. You know, it was, it was a little easier to get away with, um, you know, some of uh, extracurricular activities in, in high school out in, out in uh, like places like the Coal Hills or, um, you know, wherever the, the stupid places we used to party. But, um, uh, yeah, it was, it, it could, it could put a number on you, but in the summer on the flip side, it was awesome because I mean, how great would it be to go play home run derby at 10? At a, how great is it to go play home run derby at 10:30 at night and you know have just natural lighting illuminating the sky, uh, the field? So uh, you know there was definitely positives and negatives to it. Now we have people in the Pacific Northwest here that that will will go to Arizona in the winter and or Palm Springs and then they'll come back. Do people in Alaska have that same thing where they'll enjoy? The summer in Alaska, but they'll winter down in Arizona or somewhere warm. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's definitely not the like six month split. Uh, summer in Alaska is like a solid maybe two and a half months that you want to be up there. You know, August can be a little iffy. Uh, you know, in in Oregon here, everyone says it's summer after the Fourth of July. Summer's kind of like when you're hitting the tail end stretch, or Fourth of July is kind of when you're hitting the tail end stretch of summer up there. So. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of snowboarding, uh, a lot of going to spring training. That's actually my, my dad used to take uh, me and my brother to spring training when, when we were kids, that was kind of our, our Alaska vacation as we'd go down to Peoria and go to Mariners and Padres games. I actually, in my office here, I have a, an autograph book from Dave Niehaus that I threw to him when I was about six years old at that stadium up into the broadcast booth. And it's something that I've held on to for a very long time. So, um, yeah, I, I love the spring training talk that you had leading into this. Uh, well, there you go. We all deserve a spring training. I5Corridor.com, that's where you're writing. That's where people can read what you've been doing. I notice you've been on the Timbers in the early part of this new season. What is it about the Timbers that's drawn you in? You know, it's just it's the start of a new era. They have this new coach, Phil Neville, who had a pretty uh, pretty. Uh, illustrious career in England. He won six Premier t- Premier League titles with Manchester United. Um, he's pretty good friends with David Beckham. He had a not so successful stint at Inter Miami, and he was the coach that got fired before Messi got here. And you know, he comes to a Portland organization that has been kind of stuck in the mud for the last two seasons. And I, I just find him to be a fascinating character and, and representative of a franchise that is, um, you know, trying to kind of start out a new era. And so. You know, for them to to start out with a four to four to one win on Saturday, I think it was they were up four zero after like the first thirty five minutes of the game. Um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty triumphant start for them. And you know, for me, I've covered college football largely for the last ten years. It was kind of fun to uh, be in a different press box for a change. I I think that the Timber fan 
is rabid, diehard, locked in. I've always felt that there was like 19,000 of them, but not 19,001. How do the Timbers draw in people who aren't like in that group already? Like right now, that fan base, if it if it needs to seek a new market, where are they going, Tyson? Yeah, that's that's something that I'm trying to explore a little bit too because I mean it's it's no secret that I mean part of the reason that I'm kind of expanding into that coverage is because other people have pulled back a little bit and I'm trying to kind of figure out what what exactly works there because I think soccer is a very complicated sport to cover because it there are there is so much nuance to it there's so much history and there's so much range between the people who are 100% diehards for it for it and want analytical and match day and, and that sort of coverage. And then there's a very large population of people who, who know the sport well, but just don't kind of want to get into the X's and O's. And so I think, you know, the, the tricks of the Timbers is kind of trying to thread that needle between, you know, the, the diehard supporters and the much, much, much larger fan base that's out there that is still kind of curious about it, but isn't quite diehard yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that, whether or not this is the coach, this is the year. Tyson Alger, I-5 Corridor, is our guest. Oregon Ducks tell me today they've had more than 5,000 new inquiries, inquiries for season tickets. Um, their move to the Big Ten fueling this. Maybe people are thinking, hey, I, I uh, sell the Ohio State tickets, pay for the whole package, then uh, you know, get to go to the games for free. I don't know what they're thinking, but um, outside of football, Tyson, how excited do you feel Oregon is about the move to the Big Ten outside of football? You know, that's a good question, and I think a lot of it will depend on how good they're feeling about their basketball programs a year or two from now. Because um, if Oregon's playing good basketball, I think the Big Ten is a very exciting opportunity for them. It's it's something new. It's something fresh. It's it's some some team names and brands that everyone's very familiar with within you know college basketball. But, you know, the men's team is really stalling the last two, three years. The women's team is dreadful right now. Um, and I think it's going to be a really long couple winners if they don't get this figured out. And so, obviously, football is the, the big draw here. It's it's what caused all of this to happen. And if football goes well, I think everyone can just be okay with whatever else happens. But it's a long school year, John, and there's – as we're seeing right now, we're talking a lot about basketball. We're talking a lot about other sports. And, you know, if, if they're struggling in those, um, it kind of puts the onus on football and the pressure on football to be even that much better. Dana Altman at the end of last season, you know, you remember what he said. He was a little bit down about how things were going and vented in that NIT loss uh, to Wisconsin about, you know, the fans not being there. Um I asked him how much longer he plans to be at Oregon on this show just uh, about 10 days ago. I'm going to play this clip for you, and I want your reaction. Here's Dana Altman. I asked him how much longer he plans to be at Oregon. You know, I, as long as I feel like I'm the best guy for the job, I'll stay with it. Um, you know, if if the people here ever want to make a change, I won't fight them. You know, I, I want to be where people are all in. And... Um, you know, Rob's been great. The administration's been great. Mr. Knight, Mr. Kilkenny, uh, people that our program really depend on um, have been great. Um, but I you know, I want to be here as long as they want me here. And, you know, we've, we've got to do a better job, though, John. 
you know, and I'll be the first one to admit it. You know, NIT is not our goal. And, and you can say, well, you've had injuries. You know, we've, we've got plenty of excuses, but we can't use them. You know, we just, we got to get it done. And um, so, you know, I've, I've got to do a better job, my staff. You know, we, we just got to be better. Got to do better. Got to be better. Is Dana Altman sticking around or what goes into that in your mind? You know, it's, it's, he's such a fascinating coach in that context of we're in an era right now where we do see a lot of college coaches quitting or retiring or, or, you know, in the football phase, we've seen the, the transition from guys moving from college football to the NFL because they don't really want to deal with a lot of, um, kind of this new era of, of college sports. But the the complicated thing with Dana is he very nearly got to the mountaintop. They got to that final four. They were competitive in that final four. They kind of looked like that that was going to be a springboard for them into um, becoming an elite team, an elite college football team. It was, it was going to put him into the conversations with some of those great college basketball coaches. And then they didn't win that, and they haven't come close to reaching that since. And I – I think Dana's still so darn competitive that I I wouldn't ever see him leaving an opportunity to get back to that point unless he thought that he had something better somewhere else. So I know he likes to say that he'd be just fine going and being a community community college coach and he just enjoys coaching for the sake of coaching, but that man is very competitive. It's what's driven him throughout his entire career and especially kind of having a chip on his shoulder and, and not being in the conversation with some of the better guys and uh, amongst his peers. Um, yeah. I, I think he's still very driven. And so I don't, I don't see him being a guy that's just going to step back or, or do a, you know, a Nick Saban and surprise everybody and then right off into the sunset, because I think that he still very much wants to, to win and win big. When I think about him, I, I feel like the next couple of weeks are huge for him. I mean, he's got a conference tournament. He has a chance to beat Arizona. I still think there's some opportunities for him to kind of salvage a little bit of fun in this season because I just have wondered, Tyson, at different points how much fun he's having anymore, and I think that matters to him. A hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, it's when when Dana has a team that is, is flowing correctly and that he feels like that he has input and they're receiving him well um, – you know this this guy just eats and breathes and and lives basketball and 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 you can you can really sense that around him and you know some of the post games the last couple of years he's just looked defeated um and it it doesn't look fun and he is 64 65 years old he's made a lot of money like he he doesn't have to be doing this so yeah i mean it is it it is quite the contrast of of a coach who you know, I, I he's he's the best Oregon's men's basketball coach of all time. I don't think he's forgotten how to coach the game, but it's just every every one of these coaches, you eventually get to a time where you have to kind of start asking these questions. And you know, I think I agree with you. I think this is a very important stretch for them coming up. We've seen him pull off stretches like this before. We've seen them come back from worse, um, and it would be pretty darn inspiring if they were able to do it again. <laughs> Tyson Alger, i5corridor.com, if you want to read Tyson's great work. Tyson, um, Wayne Tinkle, on the other hand, struggling. And yet Oregon State would have to pay him $8.7 million at the end of the year to go away. Is that too steep right now for Oregon State's taste? I think so. I mean, that's 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 a lot of money. I don't know. You know, it's 
you're kind of in the position too of who's going to be better. Um, I think there's just still so much uncertainty uh, facing the future of that organization or that that university that you know you you do have a coach who yes they're not a good basketball team this year. Um, they they can point to still that that very very distant seemingly now elite eight run that they had three or four years ago. But um, yeah, that's that's just a, an awfully awfully big contract to uh, get out of if. Uh, if if you're a, a university that's in a situation like Oregon State is right now. Scott Ruick, good story in women's basketball. Kelly Graves struggling. Graves uh, is telling me, you know, look, he knows he has work to do. He's going to have to get in the portal. Um, can you maybe speak to the, the women's basketball scene a little bit and what you see at Oregon State and the runway they have next season into the WCC and Oregon going to the Big Ten, but Graves' program wobbling a little bit? What do you see? Yeah, it, it's been awfully impressive to see the way that the Oregon State team has come back. You know, obviously they they had a couple of rough years stymied by the the pandemic, but um, the way that uh, Scott's been able to rebuild that team, um, just kind of in the vision of what he wants of a very capable guards who can play tenacious defense, and obviously they have a really good center in the middle with uh, Reagan Beers. Um, yeah, they're they're really set up to be a force in that conference moving forward, and. You know, the thing over at Oregon, I mean, it's it's such a funny contrast, too, because obviously Ruick's got the job at Oregon State and got Oregon State to a point where they were a national contender before the Eugene hysteria started. But then obviously Sabrina and Kelly and, and that era came and it just blew everything else out of the water. So it's it's kind of funny to see Oregon State as the one that's still standing here. And I'm not sure what the solution is for the, the Ducks women just because you know, Graves has a great pedigree. They've obviously reached heights with that team that, that no Oregon team had in the past. And, and you do see them uh, compiling some wins still on the recruiting trail. But just the the quality of basketball that's been played at a time when, like, they kind of need it to be, to be decent. I mean, if you go to Matthew Knight Arena right now for the men or women, like, it's it's dead in there. Like, it, 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 it's, you know, the, the era of that being um, – you know, the place to be on a Thursday or Saturday night for the men or women is, is long gone. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a push to get a good crowd in that arena. And so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the right momentum you want going into the big 10, but also Kelly's another coach with a very large contract. And, you know, I, I think he's probably has the pedigree and, um, you know, the, what he's done before should get him a little bit more of a runway there. Yeah. Cause both those coaches, Altman and Graves, have taken teams to the Final Four. And you could argue that that team with Sabrina, that the pandemic you know, knocked the tournament out, that team was going to win the national title. And I look at Kelly Graves and I hear people going, oh, you know, his job, is, is his seat warm? And I'm going, are you nuts? Like, he he took them to the promised land. He took them to a Final Four with, you know, Baylor and UConn. It, it's, um, and the same goes for Scott Ruick at Oregon State. I just think... I kind of wonder about the collective, Division Street, and whether or not Division Street is is, it, is it interested in basketball as it is football. Is that any of that crossed your radar? Definitely, and I mean, like obviously, the the interest in in football is is miles ahead of where it's at on on the basketball side of things. I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's probably pretty tough for these schools to be on the same page across multiple different sports here because you know you you definitely have people who are interested in, in the money portion of this who are probably fans of one sport, not the other, and it gets complicated and the rules keep changing. And 
um, yeah, I, I think right now the, the main goal for everyone around the UO is to get that football national title, and the price for that keeps rising as well. And so I think everything else is just kind of getting the scraps. Tyson Alger, i5corridor.com. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey thanks, John. Thanks. There he goes. Kid from Alaska. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the longest 30-day weekend or whatever it is, the longest night they called it on the show. If you haven't seen True Detective Season 4, you don't know what I'm talking about. But Jody Foster is wandering around in the dark trying to solve a crime. And, yes, their their night, their long night lasts like 27 days. Uh, couldn't do it. Like, I, it's pitch black outside. It's noon. No. Nope. Doesn't work. It's also cold. And I keep going, like, why? I used to say that to people in the Midwest. I was covering Big Ten basketball before it became cool. I was there in the 90s covering uh, Indiana and Purdue. I was driving around the Midwest, and I kept asking people, like, who in your family thought this was a good idea? You know, like, like, like I know how sort of migration works. Somebody came probably from the east and was moving west, and somebody said, eh, right around Ohio or Indiana, this is good. And I, but everybody else kept going, like you know, Oregon Trail, whatever. It, but you know, my grandfather, immigrant from Italy, they move from Pennsylvania, leave the steel mills and the foundries behind. They come west. He went all the way to Pasadena. He went to California. He was drove until he saw cherry blossoms. Like I get that. I understand that. Some people didn't. Some people stopped right in the middle of the snow and went. This is good. And I always ask people, who did that in your family? Some like you could trace back, go to ancestry.com. I don't know. It 23 and me. Find out who stopped and why haven't you continued going across the country until you hit warm weather? I guess they would say the same as us. Like I kept hearing from people there in the Midwest, how do you live on the western part of the United States? Aren't you scared of earthquakes? And I'd be like, "No." <laughs> no that's not really a thing. And now, living in the Pacific Northwest, you know what all, all the people in the other parts of the country say about us? They go, how do you live there? It rains all the time. And I'm like, that's why it's green and beautiful. Ugh. Anyway, I digress. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.